1: I want to say it was human, but it wasn't. He was he was, he was yelling at me, to grab a gun, grab a gun. I was like, for what? He said, just grab a gun. And there's footprints all the way to the door of my
2: house. It had went inside my garage all the way to the door.
1: 911, what are you reporting? Jesus Christ, you better... Sure. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot... I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right
0: at him. Uh Uh-oh. You're listening to Sasquatch Chronicles. Check us out online at SasquatchChronicles.com. If you've had an encounter, email me. My email address is Wes at SasquatchChronicles.com. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for being here tonight. Got a great show planned for you tonight. Gonna be speaking to uh Dr. John Bennernagle, uh who is from Canada. He's a fan favorite. I know the audience absolutely loves him. Last time I had him on, uh people demanded I have him back, and uh (laughs) it's like I was telling John, you know, you gotta give the mob what they want, and they definitely want to hear from uh Dr. Bennernagle. And so I wanna thank him again for coming on tonight. And uh, if you 've had an encounter and you 'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email. My email address is Wes at sasquatchronicles dot com and I want to let everyone know out there my hearts and my prayer uh, my heart and my prayer goes out to everyone on the East Coast, especially in Florida with the hurricane coming uh, there's a lot of people that sent me emails said "Please do a show on Sunday, which I always do but uh, they, they, it, it'll give them a chance to get their mind off things. And it just meant the world to me that people would email me in, in the midst of a hurricane and, uh, want to make sure that there's a show. So thank you so much out there. Please be safe, uh, to the audience listening, especially in Florida. Uh, remember possessions can be replaced. Your life cannot be, um, and, and do whatever you can to stay out of harm's way. Uh, my hearts, and my prayer go out to you. Um, but fresh off the International Bigfoot Conference, I want to welcome uh, Dr. John Bendernagle to the show. John, thanks for coming on again. I really appreciate. Hi, it. I, sorry. Hi, Russ. Thanks very much. No, 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 you're you're doing good. How are you doing today?
2: I'm I'm good, thanks. My my voice comes on and off a bit weak, but I think I can speak up.
0: Oh no, you're doing great. You're doing great. Good. Have you been tracking this hurricane coming, John? The hit in Florida. Sorry, have I what? Uh, have you been tracking this hurricane coming? here in Florida. Oh, very much so. Yeah, and I feel like you, my goodness. Yeah, quite a wall up there in the
2: southeast. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's uh, my heart. I've never uh, actually lived through a hurricane, um, but I've always said about people in the in the middle of the United States, they live in um, a tornado alley, and, you know, a lot of these things. I don't know that I could, I, I mean, I think I'd freak out in a situation like this. We just had the fires here in the Pacific Northwest, and it was raining ash down like snow, and I feel bad complaining about it, especially since there's a hurricane about to hit. uh, The largest hurricane ever is about to hit Florida, so I feel terrible even complaining about some of the fires. But um, thank you so much, John. I I appreciate you being here tonight. Well, thank you. And I know we're both off the International Bigfoot Conference. I know you were there. A lot of great speakers. I didn't get a chance to see anything that you presented. I was over in the vendor area. Uh, But walking away from this conference, John, and and thinking about this conference, what did you take away from it?
2: Well, I'm I'm still processing that because, you know, you go there and, you know... and and we had some really good teaching. I guess that's what I mean. Jeff Meldrum always gives a good a good presentation. But but Cliff Berrickman talking about the anatomy of the Sasquatch hand, based on 13 casts. I didn't know there were 13 hand casts of Sasquatches. And, and Cliff's very good at teaching and working away on that. And then the other one for me was well several, but David Ellis uh, talking and pulling together all these. Uh, I won't call them all vocalizations because some of them were percussive sounds. So, he's, he's David's very good. He's very conservative. He said, "You know, these are recordings that have come to my attention." We attribute some of them to the Sasquatch or Bigfoot. Others we're unclear of. And he's doing largely what I think I'm trying to do, bring this forward for the attention, well, in this case, of bioacoustics experts who can say, oh, that's actually been documented as so-and-so. Here's a recording. Let's do comparisons, and let's look at the spectrogram. So that that's progress, and that, so that's really exciting. And I guess the third for me was that, uh, gee, um. David Floyd, coming from a university in in eastern U.S., the Sasquatch well, the hominid images in the literature, and he went way back, and he's dealing, like I have done with Aboriginal accounts, yes, this is embodied in myth, and yes, are we dismissing it too easily as merely a supernatural being or... hallucination, or should we be taking this as more seriously, early knowledge uh, or early pointing towards current knowledge. So good stuff, good stuff, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I really walked away. I, I really enjoyed what little I heard of it Um and so much evidence. And you're right about David Ellis. Uh, I know he's with the Olympic Project, and I'm sure he's listening. But David's one of the best ones to send. If I had some true audio I needed analyzed, I would send it to David Ellis. Uh I've seen him at, at work. <laughs> I know sometimes you yeah, hear... What Go ahead, John. Yeah, he's, he's,
2: my, he's my guru. Yeah, yeah. He helped me a lot. He came early to a conference the other year and spent a whole day with me. Yeah, that's good.
0: Yeah, no, I, I know I do different mixes with audio. And like in the last couple of shows, I did a thing with uh, the Ape Canyon. And I know people are amazed by it. And I'm like, you should see what David Ellis can do with audio. If yeah, you think yeah. what I do is good, you should see what he can do. Um, was there anything that – what was the main thing that stood out to you, though, from the whole conference? Was there one thing you walked away from? that you wow. couldn't stop thinking about?
2: Well, well, it it keeps going back to that same old thing. Um, there I just talked about, you know, two real, basically, tutorials, lectures, especially Cliff and David. And at the same time, the skepticism persists. I come home in, into what I call the real world. You know, that was kind of a three-day, almost in isolation there. I come back to the real world, and, you know, so that, that, to me, that's difficult because I don't have to back way off from, I don't have to, but it seems that there's a necessity to back way off from, so, say, Cliff, Cliff talking about that, the hand there, to this, does this thing exist or not? And, you know, all that, the emails I'm dealing with and all the, oh, gee, apologetic emails I'm dealing with now saying, gee, I i can't i don't want you to use my name but here's what i saw you know and i got a real good one from bc the other day and i'm actually thinking of heading up there because it's, it's recent two weeks good sighting you know but the guy didn't have his cell phone with. Well, i don't i don't fault people no one's expecting to see wildlife that needs needs photographing but you know i had this distressing thing and i might have blown it um we're about uh, Canadian, CBC Canadian Broadcasting Station found out that I was down there at a, a U.S. conference, and they're here, right here in Vancouver, BC. And they they called to do a, a ten minute radio interview for, for the BC coast area, and I said, Well, great, love to do it. And gee, ah, and I, I should be more, I should be ready. But the woman, very very good um, journalist, who, who interviewed me, uh, the, he started off. So, so you're at this gathering of believers, and I said, Oh, gee, that is. That she doesn't know how offensive that is. She doesn't know how hot a button she's pushing. And so I tried to say we actually don't consider ourselves believers, you know, we we actually consider ourselves investigators and we work on evidence based investigation and but I'm afraid it it, it got my back up and I, I haven't actually heard what came out. It seemed okay, but I, I, I said to my son, I think I might have sounded a bit ranty. You know, well, that's what so and so thought. It was a bit of a rant, Dad. Oh, oh shucks. <laughs> I mean, with you and your listeners, I think you understand why I tend to rant, and maybe it cut me a bit of slack. But here, here's this journalist expecting a nice review of what the Sasquatch looks like and what sort of evidence really is there. And I'm thinking, oh, we are so far past that. <laughs> but then that makes me sound delusional. You know, either ahead of the curve or delusional. And well, you know the the easiest answer for that one. So anyway <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah.
2: So I'm still I'm still working through that. But but you know, but that's good. It's good when that happens because I'm kind of out of the loop here and I need to know what's bothering people and you know, can I address it?
0: Yeah, no, and I'm glad that you came on. I asked the listeners for some questions and there's definitely some great questions from the listeners. But you know, there, there's a lot of skeptics that show up at those conferences. I talk to many of them, and I love oh, skeptics. Good. I, I, uh-huh. I absolutely love them. I, I they have some of yeah. the best questions. They don't have any preconceived notions about anything, um, and I, I actually like speaking to skeptics. Not so much like um, you know someone who's just down on the topic that wants to tear apart everything you say. I, I'm okay having an argument with someone like that, but. Uh, The skeptics themselves, if you know, the people on the fence, they don't really have a dog in this fight. They haven't ever seen one, Um, and they're kind of on the fence. They don't really believe, but they don't really disbelieve. Uh, Those are my favorite people to talk to because, um, you know, you can share so much with them, and then they tend to walk away and go, wow, I didn't know that there was that much evidence regarding this creature. Uh, And I didn't realize that many people had seen this creature. That's the other thing, too, when you talk to a lot of these skeptics. There's a shock that many people have seen him. You know, they, I guess they see the Patterson Gimlin film and they think, well, that's pretty much all that's happened in the last 50 years, but a lot's happened since then.
2: No, gee, that, that, that's good, Wes, because you're right about skeptics. Yeah, I mean, gee, anyone who turns up at a conference. Now, that's, that's open-minded, healthy skepticism. That's what we encourage. You have questions, raise your questions. You have doubts, express those doubts. We need to address them. Can we address them? You know, so really a lot of people who consider themselves skeptics are really agnostics in the sense that they're not saying, no way, uh, can't exist. They're saying. I haven't seen enough evidence, or I don't. I haven't been convinced, or I need to learn more. You know, and 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 this ah, uh, see, it comes back to my rant. But I don't see a whole lot of scientific colleagues there saying, "Gee, these people may may have something to say to us, and we may be missing it." I, so, but anyway, let's cut that one off right there.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the hand. I didn't get to hear that presentation. I, I just had a gentleman on, and I want to come back to it, Richard. Um I had on Friday Night Show, where he got a good look at three of these creatures, a young one and two adults. And, and remind me, I got a question for you about that later. But um he was talking about the hand. And as we were talking about the hand, he said, you know, Wes, the thumb isn't exactly in the place where our thumb's at. It's actually a little bit lower. He said, but their mm-hmm. hands are like catcher's mitt. He said, this mm-hmm. thing can walk up, scoop up water, and drink out of it. And it was that thick of a, that deep of a hand when he looked at it. Uh, what was it about um, uh, Cliff Brackman's presentation or him talking about the hands that stood out to you?
2: Well, well, you mentioned that that that, that the the thumb is not. Position like it is in the human, it is down up toward, towards the wrist. That that scoop-like uh, aspect of the hand that you were talking about, that's come up in reports. And there's a gee, I know one eyewitness drawing. It's actually from Ohio. Very much shows a scoop-like, hand, large scoop-like hand. Yeah, you mentioned the size of a catcher's mitt. Gee, there's that report from the '60s from uh, with an eyewitness drawing, a, a prospector from British Columbia here, and he he actually this thing was standing across a pond from him sort of rocking back and forth upright hands and arms swinging slowly and he said the hands were like canoe paddles i mean they really impressed him so it's not just big foot it's big hands and in the sense of maybe being disproportionately large compared to a human yeah, and, and and Cliff mentioned another thing. Like sometimes the fingers appear short, and he said that's probably webbing at the base of the fingers. Where we have a slight webbing, we we as humans, there seems to be more webbing. Yeah, you know, it's stuff, and it's coming forward like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and then seeing the actual hand track, you know, I I, I stopped and talked to Cliff, and Cliff is actually a really nice guy. I've never actually talked to him before, and I was I was a little taken back on how. Uh, I don't know why I was taken back, but he was actually a really super nice guy, and he was kind of showing me some of the different track casts. And one one question I want to ask you, Doc, is um, you know I, I had Richard on Friday night's show, and I'll send you a copy of it if you want to listen to it. I, I know you're on the site too as well, but um, he had talked about seeing this young one, and it looking like a monkey. Uh, he said oh, it looked uh-huh. very much like a monkey in the face, except for a human nose. Now, he had actually oh. seen the the female had actually walked over, crossed his path. He, they were out hunting, um, crossed him mm-hmm. and his friend's path, walked over to the tree, and actually got the baby out of the tree, and it climbed on the mother's back. But one thing he said is the mother's face looked very human-like. The Mm -hmm. other one was a little – the male was a little bit more scarier, a little bit more dirty, a little bit – and he went into details about that. But the the part of the the encounter I found fascinating was um, he talked about the young one looking very much like a monkey and as the adults Mm -hmm. looked very much human-like. And I almost wonder if Mm -hmm. they grow into their face or not. I, I don't know. That isn't the first time I've heard that. I've heard that about four or five times off the air from other eyewitnesses that have seen the young ones and said they look like monkeys. And then the adults look like humans. What's your take on that, Doc? Yeah.
2: No, that, that's good. That's good. You know, I that's one of these questions. But you know, it, it's interesting. I, if you get reports of like, well, infants or juveniles, they, they you know, are maybe still spending most of the time on all fours, not not totally upright as they become as Um, um Yeah, and I've got a report from here, and it, it was well, he said baby chimpanzees. So that was that was his take again, very, very monkey-like, and. You know, it's interesting, you know, I mean, we do have these discrepancies, especially the nose, when it comes to facial features. Some say ape-like, some say very much more human-like, okay, and then this thing about the nose, some say, oh, very flat, Uh, uh, simply two outward-facing nostrils, like the face of a gorilla, and others say, oh, no, a definite sort of uh, structure, more like a human nose, and and, and downward-facing nostrils, so... Is is it variation that's going on, or just misinterpret not misinterpretation, but differing interpretations? I don't know. But you know, I actually went to something because you you asked the other day when we were just talking a bit about the nomenclature rules of nomenclature. And see, the group I use is it's called hominoidia. Well, first of all, primates, since we're all primates, and then hominoidia is apes and humans, and and now that's as far as I go. I don't want to go further into making it, a, calling it an ape, or as others do call it, a human, because it gets us into divisiveness within ourselves, and that's, I don't think we need, we, need, we don't need any more divisiveness, so, so I backed off from, from great ape and say, well, if we can say anthropoid, that includes, and, and, and it leaves room for, for these human-like features without saying, if it's got human-like features, it can't be an ape, or if, it, if it's got ape-like features, it can't be a human, we're, we're not there yet.
0: Yeah, I, I think even, you know, if I look at chimpanzees, and it's kind of crazy I'm in this field because I'm not a huge fan of primates, they creep me out for some reason, Doc. I, I don't know why. They just do. <laughs> like when I go to the zoo and stuff, they just kind of creep me out. They could be what? The 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 actual, yeah. like when you look at chimps and, and apes, they kind of creep me out because there is a lot of human in them. And, and I, you know, even with um, great apes, the, the, the known great apes, and with chimpanzees, mm-hmm there's a lot of human-like behavior with with them, too, as well. Oh, yes. Um, so I don't think there's a big difference in the primate world, since we're all primates.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, you know I got an invitation a few years ago to speak, to speak at a local university, and the class was primatology. And it turns out that the students were in what is called early childhood education, and they were being taught... <laughs> primate and including ape behavior to understand kids, you know, hitting out and uh, intimidation behavior. And I thought, whoa, that's pretty broad-minded because, you know, we're usually not very willing to learn much about humans from, from apes. But I mean, you know most well I'd say most scientists, certainly anthropologists do not well physical anthropologists do not draw that bold line between humans and apes any longer. you know they say this is kind of a continuum, but you know we, we get into trouble when we start to kind to catalog because i 'm reminded of a well a really good investigator I spent time with back in Ontario, central Canada. And he he kept saying, uh, and I was calling them mammals, and he and I said, gee, and he said, oh, sorry, John, I really can't go with you on mammals. It it's definitely, you know, it, well, he was very very human-like, and I, and I said, well, Mike, even if it's a human, it's still a mammal. We humans are mammals. Yeah, he said, right. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay then. <laughs> but I mean, you see, this is the problem, because we again the rat, because we haven't engaged our scientific colleagues who could really. Speak eloquently, like Jeff Meldrum does, on the subject. People, you know, they're they're out there. They're they're kind of missing some of the basic stuff. We should not be arguing about mammals if they got hair and they're warm-blooded. They're mammals. That that should not be controversial. (laughs) So, so that's why I'm reluctant to take it down too far, uh, within primates.
0: Yeah, no, and I understand that. I understand that. I, I think that there's a lot of behaviors you can draw between the Sasquatch. You know what 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 shocks me, Joan? I, I know you're a wildlife biologist. The one thing that surprises me the most about Sasquatch is you will find it, it acts very animal-like in a lot of mm-hmm. situations, very much like an animal. And then there's other situations to where it acts very human-like. Um, and I can't really, and I'll give you an example The the guy I had on Friday, Richard, uh, probably one of the best encounters I've ever heard. Um, and this female Sasquatch had walked over, grabbed the young one, taken it out of the tree, put it on, on its back. And it just looked at him. And I was telling Richard, I, I said, you know, if that would have been a black bear, if that would have been any other predator on the planet, you probably would be dead. Um, uh, because they don't you know, bears, uh, chimpanzees, I mean, any known predator out there is not going to tolerate you being that close to a young one. They're just not. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this thing didn't attack him kind of threw me off. He reached for his knife. I'll, I'll tell you, John, he reached for his knife, and he said the sa- the female Sasquatch gave him a look like, don't do that, and, and that really stuck with yeah. him. And that's very human-like. I mean, that is very human-like to get a look. Yeah. From a creature, and know right off the bat it's a look like don't do that, and so that throws me off with the Sasquatch. What, what are your thoughts with the with the behaviors being human like well, and animal?
2: Oh, no, you, you raise you, you raise very good points because we. And, and this is this thing about uh, we, we draw this line between humans and apes, I think without a very full understanding of apes and i and I include myself in that you know I, although I worked uh, in parts of Africa and did see chimpanzees i I should have gone to observe gorillas in the wild and i didn 't i didn't i 't know I was going to get into this area of research, <clears throat> but anyway um <clears throat> yeah humanly if we uh, if um those primatologists who study ape behavior, they see human-like, well, what we would, you know, popularly describe as human behavior all the time. And this is what Jane Goodall keep, keeps emphasizing, you know, these, these apes, they need this kind of social stimulation and psychological stimulation. You can't just put them in a cage and expect them, you know, to thrive, because they don't. They, you know, and they, 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 there's this maternal, strong maternal instinct. there's, um, just assistance with each other, a, a, a lot of stuff going on. And so we, we have this unfortunate um, popular conception of apes as knuckle-dragging brutes, you know, and, and she, Jane Goodall, is one of the ones that we must get over that. you know. They're much more human-like than, than we realize, but it's not, not maybe quite as widely known as people like her realize.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You, you you've you've looked at that uh, Coco the gorilla, John, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Coco, mm-hmm. there there's a a famous, and I watched this on the video, and I was really blown away by it, um, and it really opened my eyes as far as um, you know, my dog. My dog, for instance, I love my dog like my my son. Uh, I, there's nothing I wouldn't do to protect him. There's nothing I wouldn't do to you know make his life easy but you know a lot of times we, as humans we look at animals and we think of them just as like animals and i remember coco was smoking one time or no she was um trying to get out she was actually she was halfway out the window and the the people had stopped her cuz she she was living in this enclosure and with the people they had stopped her and they said what well, what are you doing and she said i'm going out for a, snow, a smoke well, she was breaking out to leave is what she was doing. But the yeah. fact that she signed back to the humans, I'm going out for a smoke, she had watched the humans go out there for a smoke. Just yeah, yeah. it blew me away. It completely yeah. blew me away. It made me stop and yeah. go, Well, what is human? What what is it that we're what yeah. defines us as human beings? You know what I mean? Well, you
2: see, no, see, that, that's good, and, and I think part of, that that defining, and and you know, um, gee, oh, and it comes up in cultural anthropology, just like you talked about your dogs as animals, but the implication is we're not, we're humans. Well, this is the same thing. Again, we are animals, you know. I mean, we're mammals. So, yeah, uh, but, but, right. but, but, but 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 no, anthropologists, cultural anthropologists, keep getting well, I won't say get they get us into trouble, but they're, see, one of their really popular cultural explanations, is that we humans have a need to separate ourselves, and and they say, from animals. I think what they really mean is from other animals. And we embody this in the Bigfoot or the Sasquatch, which bridges that gap with what they consider animal-like Qualities and behavior and human-like behavior, and and so that sounds good. And, and then so other uh, scientists, say oh, thank you very much, cultural anthropologists. I think I think we now understand how we have Bigfoot in our culture. That's a good explanation. No, no, well. It, I don't know if we humans have this need or not, but I don't think it is a very good explanation in light of all the physical evidence we have, you know, the tracks and the eyewitness descriptions that you're describing, the vocalizations. So, <laughs> but we kind of allow ourselves to be stuck there. And I, I wouldn't like to say it myself, but I heard others say, yeah, scientists being intellectually lazy. Well, maybe that's it. Just take the easiest solution uh, and make that a conclusion and say, that's it. Uh, so, sorry, it's me going on a bit.
0: No, no, you're you're absolutely <laughs> right. You're, you're absolutely right. Wow. You know, I think as humans, we tend to, and I know there's a scientific term, I think it's anthropomorphous. Uh, oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we tend to put human-like characteristics on a lot of animals. I mean, I do it with my dog, and so when people mm-hmm. do it with Sasquatch, I completely get it. I mean, I'm not too hard on people when they do that, because Mm -hmm. I think my dog understands what I say. He understands my body language. He understands, and he probably doesn't. He probably has no clue, uh, but I feel like he does, you know, And and I think that's more of a human thing than it really is on him. It's more on me. And I think a lot of people with Sasquatch, they do the same thing, whether they think it's an animal, whether they think it's a person or people, whatever people, you know, call them. It depends on your experience with them and it depends yeah. on how you view that relationship. And so, you know, I'm not too hard on people when they, when they, I used to be, John, I used to be yeah. really hard on, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, no, they're animals, nothing more, nothing less. And, and today I'm a little bit, maybe I'm getting soft in my old age, but I don't know.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 yeah, well, well, me too, because I mean, you know, we can, I, I think no one should be faulted for their interpretation because, it's basically open season on how you interpret Sasquatches and Sasquatch evidence and what you hear, because, I mean, it's, you know, since there's so little informed scientific comment available, you feel free. I mean, just, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I think with eyewitnesses, you know, because we don't have one in a cage we can study. I always say I don't have one in my garage I can study, but with eyewitnesses, it's like I was telling Richard on Friday night show, uh, re, yeah. You know, I was asking him what his opinion on Sasquatch is, and he was like, well, I'm not in a position to speak about that. I, you're in the absolute position to speak about yeah, that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. M- most of the eyewitnesses or most of the true fans of the show probably know more about Sasquatch than most researchers out there. Oh,
2: yeah. Uh, because you yeah. can
0: learn so much about the behavior, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah and, and that 's why i 'm so glad that you 're archiving and pulling pulling these reports out of the pop- human population because we will we will return to those you know and my you can probably tell the whole focus of my research these days is is that you know okay for some of us it 's been discovered we moved on just like cliff and and, and David Ellis we moved on in our studying hand anatomy vocalizations you know. But but, but but that leaves us so exposed, you know, standing out there sort of naked, looking over our shoulders, saying, what are we doing out here looking delusional? And may, maybe I take that on too much. And that's another good thing about these conferences, like you say, certainly skeptics there, but lots of young people. Very very open, not with all the hang-ups that my my colleagues have, and uh, much more amenable to this. guess no, it's still an alternative explanation beyond it being merely a cultural phenomenon. So yeah yeah good good good
0: stuff, Wes. Yeah. And that's why I like having you back on the on the show, John. You're actually a huge fan, especially with college students. Uh, I had a lot of college students contact me, and they were having their professors listen to the show. And especially when you're on, they they have their professors listen to the show. They're like, hey, if you don't want to listen to eyewitnesses, listen to this guy. Um and you're right, there is a younger generation coming that is more open to take a look at this and not so afraid of I think the generation of scientists that are afraid to look into this are dying off. You know what I mean?
2: Well you know, I, I'm I'm going through this with Jeff Meldrum uh and and, and he's invited editorials <clears throat> for, for his the journal R H I and you know I'm really I'm I'm ah, I'm not coming out of the closet. I'm out of the closet with my acceptance of this, but I'm 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 getting a little more ready to start poking at, at my scientific colleagues for their unwillingness to to scrutinize the evidence and uh, like I've been so deferential. I'm you know saying and this is what gets me into trouble. You know I, I say yes I understand and your resistance to this. Uh, it, it, yes it's partly justified. It does seem like a far fetched claim, and then I. I, 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 there, 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 again, this investigator I work with back east. We said, and I have said this another time, John. I understand your need to appease your scientific colleagues. Well, there's another hot button. If I'm, a, I don't want to appease them. I don't want to look as if I'm enabling them to remain silent and uninvolved. I'm trying to attract their attention. So I, I don't know if you saw my my little presentation. I was trying to poke a little fun at them, in that little sort of satirical cartoon i presented so that's what i'm sort of going next because I'm, I'm encouraged by these younger people because we have senior curators of mammals senior scientists in physical anthropology basically pronouncing what is acceptable what are acceptable subjects for scientific investigation and which are not and they've you know they're absolutely silent on, on, the, on the Sasquatch or Bigfoot, and, and I want to address that because that silence speaks volumes. It says, no, this is not a subject for scientific scrutiny. It doesn't warrant scientific attention, and basically, I don't want to hear any more about it. <laughs> so, but But behind all those scientists are younger colleagues... Um, interns, grad students, and a and a minority of people, even my age, like Meldrum and I, say, "Whoa, whoa! You're speaking for us, and you're not <laughs> you're not representing us." And, and that's when is more successful at this than I am. That's why. Permit me to to address your your next conference, so I can illustrate some of this evidence, and not, not convince you of our conclusion, but show you the evidence and why we think it warrants. Investigation. So I'm, I'm, I'm nibbling at the edges of my cage here, coming out a bit, so, so starting to poke a bit.
0: No, I, I think it's smart, John. I, I really do. And you know, a lot of times, um, that, that's been my biggest complaint, really, with the the science world. Hey, whether you believe in Bigfoot's irrelevant to me. Uh, just take a look at the evidence. Take a look at some of the eyewitness reports. Let's look at some of the track casts. Let's listen to some of the audio. And if you want, we can look at some of the video. But let's just take a look at, the, at all of the evidence and then tell me what you think. And I think most scientists are unwilling to do that. And the fact that you are, you're a professional, John, I think it holds a lot of weight when you speak. It holds a lot of weight. Um, you know, this show, for instance, people couldn't wait to have you back on. I have a list of um, uh, questions for you. I don't know if you you want to sure. take a knock at some of these
2: uh, yeah, yeah. Well yeah.
0: <laughs> Eric B from the uh website, he said, in your knowledge, and again, John, I realize some of these questions are just opinions or or maybe some of your theories, and it's obviously neither one of us have one in a garage we're studying, so uh but it, you know, take a whack at them if you want. Um Eric B says, in your knowledge, what incident or sighting or something he witnessed sticks out as the best credible evidence?
2: And I'm thinking, you know, because see, as a wildlife biologist, I tend to place heavier weight on sort of the things that we use as wildlife biologists, like tracks, and especially when tracks are cast. You know, it's really very good. And uh, one of the things I've been doing, and I put it up there I, I, at that conference, I have a, one of my research videos is a field guide entry, which belongs in Mammals of North America, um, right. Next page to up bears, including upright bears, and so I've got you know the the, the sort of field guide representations of a Sasquatch and some kind of a sampling of Sasquatch tracks, and you know one of them and and more and more I'm I, I'm I'm finally getting some some juvenile and sub adult tracks and one of the one of the great uh, sort of take home things from this this trip for me was um, Ori Innes who I met a couple of years ago at Todd uh Contrary, well, when I met Dew down there in in Oregon, uh, Ory came up to me with this incredibly clear, sharp Sasquatch track, but it's only eight. Gee, what's it? Yeah, I think it's an eight. Yeah, an eight-inch track cast, beautiful cast, I I looked at it then, and we talked about it, and, but we were all so busy I didn't follow up. And it's one of these things where it finally sunk in. So I've, so I've got back to Ori and he sent it up to me and I now have it here ready to make duplicates of it. Got first generation, really good copies from a really good mold that we're about to begin. And then, and then I'll feel more comfortable because I, I feel nervous with some of this valuable, scientifically valuable, uh, original casting material. But and see, and, and that's what I think, gee, sometimes I feel like, I'm, well, I'm not the only guy who appreciates that That's where Cliff Farrow doing so well, and Jeff's been doing it for years. But a lot of people don't get it. But, you know, those casts, first of all, we can usually refute them the hulk the fabricated wooden feet and anyway that's that's a bit of a story but we can do that and now we have this evidence that this is in fact a track leaving mammal so it just it just kind of eliminates a lot of the stuff about huge hallucinations and imaginary beings so so i'll stop there but yeah it, it, it track evidence right there is for me as important as films and eyewitness drawings
0: yeah, probably even more because it's harder to fake a track cast, well, yeah. I would think, than a video. But,
2: but it, it, harder to fake if you're willing to scrutinize it. And that's where even, even Jeff Meldum has the problem. He cannot get his colleagues from down the hall at his university to come and look at his cast collection. And just one little aside there that... The, Hoax claims, hoaxes and hoax claims have really set us back because no scientist wants to look at something and say, oh, gee, looks looks pretty compelling to me. And then a week later said, ha ha, that one he was looking at. Yeah, my brother and I made that, you know, so they're being very guarded and, you know, with with some justification, but it's kind of messed things up.
0: Yeah, and, and I can understand that completely. Um, Eric B. also wants to know, and I would imagine, too, as a wildlife biologist, uh, John, that track casts would be the most compelling. Uh They're definitely the most compelling for me, you know, beyond sound. And, you know, there's a lot of things you can fake, but track casts are, are pretty tough. Um mm. uh, One of the questions Eric B. wants to know is he, he says, does the doc believe they normally utilize infrasound? If so, to what degree?
2: Yeah, I, I I I can't really speak on. I hear these reports, and and they're very very interesting, aren't they? I mean, people are really affected by what what being described as infrasound. It it kind of it seems to immobilize people, and sounds to me like something you pro- probably need to experience to really appreciate because it's kind of like people who who smelt that really powerful smell, that, that odor, and gone and say, oh, it was like 20 skunks, and oh, I almost gagged, and you know, just, yeah, they were very impressed, and uh, well, and to some extent vocalizations, really loud vocalizations up close, you know, but, 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 but infrasound sounds almost go beyond that, doesn't it, but no, I'm just, just listening, and I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's hard to say. I know a lot of encounters. When you listen to them, they sound—it sounds like infrasound sickness uh, that people experience. But you—you—you you, you wonder sometimes if that's fear or not. Uh, Eric B. also wants to know: Does John believe they tend to their dead? Um, there's a huge controversy in the Bigfoot world whether they bury their dead, they eat their dead, or they these things just go off into the wilderness and die. I don't think anyone truly knows. But what, what are your thoughts, John?
2: No, I, I I I tend to favor the last just because it is remarkably easy for a dying animal, mammal to disappear. Bears, even bears, you know, and and because I know, oh, I guess well, probably forty years when I was still pretty active in 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 the field a lot of it here in Western North America, two bear skulls only, you know, and there's a lot. These are black bears, and there's a lot of black bears out there. Even deer skeletons, maybe ten. Compared to you know thousands and well yeah thousands of deer I saw, so yeah and and you know bones do break down, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, where we live with our acid soils and uh, but but teeth tend to persist, but then once once the jaw has kind of decayed or molded or been chewed up by rodents, then the teeth I think probably just sink into the soil and. Pretty pretty hard to retrieve. So yeah, tr- trying to get that kind of physical evidence is is, is is pretty pretty difficult.
0: Yeah, it is, and you're right. I mean, I've never come across. I know you said the teeth last a long time. I've never come across a bear jaw. I've never come across a deer jaw or teeth or uh, anything that's died naturally. Obviously, if a poacher gets it, you're going to find the body, but. For the most part, I've never come across an animal that died naturally in the woods. I just haven't. I've I've spent a lot of time out in the woods. Um, one of the questions uh, Eric B. he asked does Does John believe that Sasquatch would eat a human if the opportunity arose?
2: Yeah, I I, I don't think eat. I, I think there could be competition. You know, and, and this comes up where well, it, again, it's just just kind of orally documented. Uh, reports that the, the stone throwing, which comes up so often, something is, and, and this is we would describe as intimidation behavior. And intimidation behavior, and I really got into this in the first book, because you know, all these reports were coming, these reports of low, large branches being broken as if they were intended to intimidate and be a show of strength and spook someone out of an area, rocks being thrown at or towards people. And 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 yeah, intimidation behavior. And, and George Schaller was good about this, talking about the mountain gorilla. It basically is to encourage human intruders to leave because there's a food cache or infants or family that they want to protect. And it, it's not violence; they don't want to eat you or kill you. They want you to leave. And I think I think that's going on quite oftenly. And I think that's how a lot of uh, interactions occur. We've almost kind of stumble into an area. Might be part, a part of their home range that they 've decided is like a territory a a, a really core area that they 're protecting for some reason I, I i about far as eating you know i I think sasquatches recognize us as have to be careful here like like, like kindred kindred uh, somehow a relatedness here we are upright mammals walking around and and you know there are these reports that i I hate to bring up because it sounds again like you're delusional, but these uh, what Henry Fehrenbach used to call "rescuer" incidents, where a hunter breaks a leg and something large and smelly carries it back to his camp, sets him down and leaves. Uh, a child is lost; something comes out of the forest, guides the child to the edge of the road, and, and leaves it there where it will it will be picked up. You know, there are these reports around, and and I think. I think and eventually we will come to recognize that you know yeah this this does happen can happen but then then and Jeff Meldrum brought this to my attention again recently reports from well Uganda and other parts of East Africa chimpanzees actually attacking children you know, outside, maybe in the evening, maybe not. But yeah, and, and apparently there is this, and, and Jane Goodall acknowledges this kind of uh, what she calls the dark side of chimpanzee behavior. So, I mean, yeah, I think I think it's something to be aware of, and I, I have no idea the extent of it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You brought up a couple things there. Um, I have had those reports, like where you're talking about. Where people seem to be saved by a Sasquatch, and it's hard to say if Sasquatch is killing people. I tend to think that they do, but it's just an opinion, but you never hear you know dead dead men don't speak, and so it's hard yeah, to oh yeah yeah. Uh, uh, yeah yeah, it's hard to to know for sure what happened. There's a lot of people that go missing in the woods and under very strange circumstances, and obviously, every time we can't blame Sasquatch on it, but there is some very odd reports of people going missing, and it really makes you wonder. Uh, what happened to them. Uh, I want to get to Kenny's question, but Eric B., uh, his last question says, "It um, would also like to hear his take on the sexual aspect of Sasquatch. Are they monogamous with their family or do they have multiple partners uh, like primates? And, and before you answer, John, I've actually heard of, I had one report I put on the air, I think it was last week, but I've heard about four or five reports off the air where it seems to be like one female and four or five males, something to that extent, uh, where it's not just one male, it's several males, almost like you'd do with monkeys. Uh, but what, what's your take on it, John?
2: Well, yeah, no, I am I, well. I don't know, but, but I, I also have compared it. I, I look at, you know, bands of chimpanzees and, and, and gorillas, and, and then that sort of uh, orangutan situation, which interests me, because that's where you have a solitary male, solitary female coming together in what they call a consortship. It's almost like a, like a dating sort of thing. They're together for a while. They mate. And then the male goes off by itself again. And the female and the infant are by themselves. And that last one seems to be the closest model that I hear about. A lot of solitary males, but yeah, once in a while, a group and one, well, you know, there's this, this one, we talk about quite a lot, not quite a lot, but somewhat the, uh, Hmm, the name will come. Anyway, it's where there's a female, an adult female Sasquatch and an adult male Sasquatch in Oregon um, picking up hibernating ground squirrels, digging up hibernating ground squirrels. Anyway, um, but 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 the situation, so it's an, ad, yeah, two adults and, 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 a, and a juvenile, but the juvenile appears to keep the female between itself and the male, as if the male is maybe not quite as welcoming that in that group as 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 it might be so it, I mean obviously this is where we do get into an area of what I would call speculation, and I know people say, well, it's all speculation, no, no, it's not all speculation, but here here we're we're reaching, but no, I mean see these are the the really good questions that one would have hoped that by now we're kind of moving a little closer towards than we really are, so I don't know, but there is the the, the odd report of a lot, like eight and ten, and what's going on there, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's hard to say. I know Melissa Kay says, Dr. Bender and noted in one of his commentaries that wildlife biologists use an animal track as evidence to prove the existence of a mammal in an environment. I was impressed by this because we have some very credible people who've expressed they feel some Sasquatch tracks are more likely real based on their experiences. To name a few who to me stand out in their expertise, Dr. Bendernaugel, Dr. Krantz, Dr. Meldrum, John Green, Jimmy Chilcutt. With the combined years of experience being about 200, that is an impressive list of men whose opinion should convince anyone. I don't understand why Sasquatch is so taboo or why so many people are totally close-minded about it. Um, what is so surprising about another species of primate?
2: Well, <laughs> you you've just uh, sort of addressed the whole background for my second book. You know, <laughs> why 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 are why that's right? Why is it scientifically taboo? And you know, oh gee, when would that be? Two thousand and seven. I had my, my that second book essentially complete, and that's when I met uh, oh gee, uh, Lila Hadzik. And 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 this was in, in, uh, in uh, Erickson Project, and I said, and we got talking. She's a Princeton PhD, and I said, "Gee, Lita, would you be willing to just give a quick review? I've pretty much got this book finished." Well, she applied herself, and basically, she changed the book. She g- gave me three years of editing, and and this is, and it isn't just. Like I was focusing on the Sasquatch as a scientific discovery, and still did, but she said, "Oh, it's much larger than the Sasquatch. It's it's about scientific discovery. It's about science. It's about scientists. It's it's about scientific resistance to a discovery claim perceived as far-fetched, which this is." Well, that was really. It took me three years after that to get the book finished, but it changed the, the balance. The second half of the book basically addresses this issue of scientific resistance. to And, and so I'm, and so the problem is, okay, so why is our discovery claim perceived as far-fetched? Well, if I were just an ordinary biologist with a fish and wildlife branch here and someone's talking about a seven-foot-tall, 800-pound upright, ape-like creature here on Vancouver Island and it's not in my mammal field guide, I, I don't don't know, I guess I'd laugh and I just move on. But, and and so I'm, I'm out there along with a lot of, not a lot of others like you saying, no, no, don't move on. This is, this is evidence-based. I know it sounds crazy. But by now, and, and so well, I guess what I've been doing is trying to pull all this stuff together and what others are doing and doing a really good job of, except it's all happening under the radar, pulling it together to make sense uh, of the claim.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Is that, is
2: that on track?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's absolutely on track. <laughs> uh, Daniel E., he said, hey, Wes, a couple questions. And um, the first one is Dr. Does Dr. Benternogel believe that Sasquatch might be behind the disappearance of the 411 missing cases that David Pilates talks about? We'll skip that question so the author doesn't get his panties in a wad. But the second part of
2: the answer, the answer is I don't I don't know.
0: know. (laughs) But the second part of the question is we know the government is trying to keep all this a secret. But in his opinion as to why they don't acknowledge the existence. And and that's the question. Why why doesn't the, the government just come yeah. out and say that these things are real?
2: Yeah, this is an area where, where I, I try to be careful, too, because it, it can sound like conspiracy theory, that, you know, this is being kept, known about but but kept secret. And that, that may be the case. But, but I, I myself am not going to go there because I have come to realize the strength of scientific resistance. And I'm finding that that... Resistance alone is is enough to account for, well, what I'm increasingly referring to as a botched discovery process, where we've we've allowed ourselves to bog down with a lot of red herrings, well, like like hoax tracks, and and sort of, and it's not that we've stopped. Scientists have stopped any progress. They excuse me. They never got started. So, <laughs> Yeah. Excuse me, and that's, that's what I'm trying not to do. But, but, yeah, anyway.
0: No, no, I understand. I understand. Um, Joseph i um, I'll come back to the question, but he says, from the information out there, it appears there are nomadic species. With this considered, one must then move to the question, uh, patterns related to hunting, gathering, available shelter, and mating safe harboring for the birthing and rearing of their children until uh, one is old enough to migrate. Uh, his question is, and, and I've had this question before, I've had people who claim to have these around their property, uh, John, and, and when they come around their property, I'll ask people, is it, is it pretty much 365 days a year? And they'll say, no, it's only during the fall, or it's only during, they'll give you some sort of time frame of when they're seeing these things. Um, Joseph's question, though, he says, I'm curious to know if Dr. Nagel. Uh, Benternagel has looked into researching potential migratory patterns of the Sasquatch.
2: good, really good question. And again, it's an area where we should be by now. And, And see, I look at the Sasquatch as probably having a really large home range, so large that it would appear to be nomadic, even though it might be actually Confining itself just to a large home range, and then within that home range, there will be like with black bears. Oh, I forget what they term it, but there's a name for it. It's maybe not territories, but scattered areas of concentration where food is. Excuse me, food is available in in a certain area. Excuse me, at, at certain time of year, and so they really, there is a maybe a, a regular pattern of movement, except that first of all, we're not we're not studying it. And second, it it might be quite large scale, but but there are some folks working. I know down down in the Washington on that, I'm trying to remember the people involved, ma- making making maps and mapping reports. But, and and I that 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 we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, I forgot I had another comment there. Yeah, anyway, yeah. No, a very very good question. Oh, not much of an answer. <laughs> no, I understand. Oh, yes. Yeah, there is there is one more thing. And this was good. And this is, oh, again, the value of these conferences and, and collegiality. Um, my wife and I cast, uh, we got basically got a couple of really good casts, gee, 1987 in Strathcona Provincial Park. And then I, I've now dug out another set of casts about 55 miles away, gee, what is it, 1993. So about five, five, six years later, 55 miles away, it looks like the same individual adult, I don't know if it's a male, but it's, it, 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 uh, gee, what are they, 15-inch tracks, about six inches wide, and, and when I showed them the clip Berrickman, and, and uh, Jeff, they all thought, oh, so, so you've got more Sasquatch." more examples of the track of this single Sasquatch. Well, I I didn't think of them as the same individual, but we are now. But both Cliff Cliff and Jeff and I, this probably is the same. So that suggests, if if they are in fact uh, the same individual, 55 miles for, you know, a home range. Not, not, Not that we know that this thing was going back and forth, but that it seems to have traveled that distance during its... well, during its hunting, gathering, foraging.
0: Yeah, and it makes sense. You know, like um, you can kind of track deer the same way or any other prey the same way. They'll generally come through a certain area at a certain time of year, maybe not the exact area where you're expecting, but for the most part they'll come through a same general region. It seems like Sasquatch does the same thing, wouldn't you think?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and- and, and, and that's, that's the predictability we're looking for. And that's where we are moving ahead. You know, obviously not as quickly as we could be or should be, but why these reports coming forward and people, you know, reporting this and people like you kind of pulling it together. We're saying, aha, in this area, we might be able to anticipate, um, Sasquatch presence at a certain time of year, and and I'm trying to use that again this fall because for two years now we've had vocalizations on a a small island up on the BC coast, and well, two years, that's the beginning of a pattern, so I'm going back this year with better recording equipment and kind of forewarned and going in proactively in advance of uh, vocalization report to see, does this (laughs) individual or group or whatever it is come back to this island every year and we'll hopefully we'll get higher quality um recordings to sort of conclude is this in fact are these in fact sasquatch vocalizations or is it something else so yeah we are we are progressing
0: yeah these are great questions um i know mark s i don't know do you know about the miller document john uh, not by that name. Okay. I'll send it to you. It, it's a document okay. that was, he wanted to ask your opinion on it. Uh, I'll send it to you. You have to tell me your opinion. It, the origins of where the document came from are shady at best, but whoever wrote this mm. document definitely knew something about the scientific world. Just some of the terms they use, but they talk about Sasquatch, so I'll skip that question. I will... uh I'll send it to you, John, that way you can...
2: Okay. uh, I I might know what you're talking about, but I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, and I'll I'll send it to you. Uh, Augustine L., (laughs) who has about 30 questions, but I'll try and cut them down. Uh, He said, they have a language. They look like us. Uh, Are they an uncontacted tribe of humans living in our backyards?
2: Yeah, well, you know, this is being discussed. Sasquatch vocalizations, like what I'm studying, are these loud, wailing calls. But then there is this, this some people call it gibberish, but this chatter that, that sounds like language. And the question is, is it language or not? I mean, it, it certainly seems to be communication. But, you know, I mean, we've had, you know, Ron Moorhead stuff there, this here. sounds for a long time. and People have studied it, and I'm not quite sure where we've come to with that. And, you know, there are people who have said, oh, this this actually sounds very much like a known human language, Spanish or some other language. Um, I I don't know, you know, I I don't know about this. But, you know, um, I think what what someone concluded, just the way it sometimes it's recorded as kind of a back and forth thing is that, well, there's definite vocal communication going on. So, We may not know the exact meaning, but we pick up things from tone, like, is this um, an adult admonishing or punishing or, you know, trying to curb in uh, a a juvenile or an infant? Really interesting area. And again, the more investigators out there, and and again, documentation being so important, if we can get more examples of this, it'd be more to study.
0: Yeah, I think the thing with the language is it's not too far off to think that these things have a language. I think every animal, um I'm like an old man, I'll go out and feed the uh, squirrels. I probably shouldn't admit to that, but I do, uh, <laughs> with, uh, you know, sunflower seeds or whatever. And I was sitting out, uh, gosh, probably a year ago, and I saw these two squirrels chatting back and forth. It was a language. These two things were chatting back and forth. That was my impression, I guess, of sitting there. But I'm thinking these things are chatting back and forth. Uh, I don't know what they're saying, but, you know, even if a squirrel can do that, you would think that a primate could, you know, have some sort of language, whether it be a gorilla, a Sasquatch, a human, a monkey... Uh, you know chimpanzee not a monkey chimpanzee or or whatever you would think they all would have some sort of language i think every animal really out in the in the woods has some form of communication
2: that's the thing and i I think linguists kind of uh maybe not draw a bold line but it's communication uh evolving into into a language which is a little more specific I, i don't know actually i don't know anything about this
0: yeah, no, and I and I understand a lot of these questions. Like I said, you know, the audience is hungry for information, and and a lot of questions can't be answered. You know, as far as uh what they do or why they do it, but we try our best well, to but, put together. But but, but but
2: you see, this is this is the thing. It, it, it's what we're doing, but very slowly. Again, pulling all this evidence together. It, but then, and this is where I keep getting stuck, trying to attract the attention of the relevant experts. Like right now, bioacoustics. You know, we've got these great vocalizations recorded in many parts of the U.S. Certainly, from good stuff from Manitoba uh, recently. The stuff we're getting up the BC coast here. But to to try to get a bioacoustics expert to treat this seriously is still still difficult in in, in my experience especially if we make the mistake of admitting that we attribute this to Bigfoot. uh, Pardon my cynicism, but that tends to shut down a conversation at a pretty early stage.
0: (laughs) No, it does. And I, you know, I really appreciate being here, John. I know the last question they have is, is from Ryan. He wants to know, have you ever heard of a Bigfoot being in the UK? And have you seen a Bigfoot before? Well, you, his last part of this question is, have you seen a Bigfoot report or Bigfoot before? And I know we addressed that on the last show. I guess I'll answer that. John has seen one. He did describe his encounter. Uh, but I am getting more and more reports out of the UK, John. And I don't know what to make of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, many of us don't. What are your thoughts? Well, you know. Yeah, well,
2: I think it's I think it's very possible because there's some from the European continent as well, and you know, and, and that whole well, it's considered a legend in Scotland. That I think it's the Old Gray Man, and uh, but you know, I think back not that many years, Gro- Grover Krantz was very much a leader academically. was very skeptical of any reports east of the Rockies. Like he was, he did his work in the west, and he, he was skeptical about stuff in the east. Well, we don't do that anymore. We we find out a lot of the, the reports from the eastern. North America preceded, you know, the, the, those from the West, you know, and uh, look what uh, Cliff barrettman's done with his colleague down there in uh, in Indo- Indonesia and in Sumatra with orang pendek, a great uh, collection of orang uh, pendek track casts. They've almost jumped ahead of North American Sasquatch research. So and then and then Jeff writing more and more about you know like hominids around the world and support uh, for, for them, like the, like the air in China and then we had that conference a few years ago in Russia with some, you know, pretty interesting evidence from there. So but but you see I go back to something um, that Grover said that you know, we really have so much good evidence for the North American Sasquatch. We really should try to wrap this one up so to speak or or work that maybe a little harder. And then once we're, you know, Really convinced that this one exists, then that will then will say, "Oh, what about the Yeti and Yeren? You know, and, and the Russian Snowman?" Yeah. So anyway, that's that's the way I see it unfolding.
0: No, absolutely. Me. And I want to ask you: What do you think it'll take to prove it, John? I mean, um, you know, we we have. Pretty much all the evidence we're going to get at this point. I mean, someone might come out with a video that's better than the Patterson-Gimlin film. And I have seen some good videos. But, I mean, what do you think it will really take to prove this to the scientific community, to the world? Let's put all government cover-ups aside. Let's put all conspiracies aside. What would it take to prove this to a scientist sitting there?
2: Obviously, the the really conclusive evidence is the type specimen, which we would call the cadaver. And, you know, Grover made a case for that. He said, you know, we've got all these track cats, we've got a lot of convincing evidence, but, you know, my colleagues want... A type specimen, and he advocated collecting one, which, of course, is a euphemism for for shooting one. And he was absolutely hammered. I mean, but see, that was quite a few years ago, and I think back to my upbringing. Gee, back in the fi- '60s at university, we collected specimens and photographs. Didn't cut it. Almost nothing cut it. That'd it be a specimen. Well, we've moved on in some ways, but 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 you know, now i going through this with kind of the. Um, you yeah, I rebuild woodpecker evidence you know there's some pretty good photographic evidence and eyewitness evidence but no, but no type specimen and what would what would happen to someone who collected one so it's a real, it's a real dilemma and, and see my, my point is not so much insisting on proof as sufficient evidence to shift this into an area warranting scientific in the Examination by by my credentialed, much more knowledgeable than my scientific colleagues, and that that's basically all we're. Solving. It's really quite a. I think it's quite a modest goal. No, no, don't. That's why I keep in in my in my presentations. I'm simply trying to illustrate evidence to kind of spark their interest, and you know, there's something going on here that we should know about
0: Anyway, yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, and that's been my argument for the longest time. Is I and people hate it when I say it. I can imagine what Grover Krantz went went through, but um, you know, I I really feel like uh, a body is needed. Um, you know, it's it's to the point where. Um, I, I think that's what it'll take for. I, I think there's a lot of closet scientists. I know you might disagree with me, John, but there's a lot yeah. I hear about. I, I get emails from them. There's a lot of scientists that listen to this show, believe it or not. And, uh, there's well, a I'm lo-
2: finding that out. Yeah.
0: yeah. C- c- c-
2: c- can, I, can I interject here? Because something came to me with it. Uh, and if I, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I still got it, it's gone anyway I had a thought oh yeah yeah the thought is yeah yeah um getting back to you know us trying to attract scientist to the evidence or evidence you know, bring the evidence to the attention of the scientist. We are trying to save their bacon. They are going to have to address this down the road when that type specimen does happen. You know, from a road kill or some some hunter decides it's time to, you know, be the guy to bring one in, whatever whatever happens, there will be that specimen. And, and we're trying to say, you know, and people are going to say, what did you guys know about this? Didn't you see it coming? And we're trying to, you know, provide them with information to say, oh, yes, we've had a pretty good description of its anatomy, and we knew a lot about the elements of its behavior. At the moment, you know, with due respect, they're not saying that. They're, they're, they're ignoring what we're providing them with. So sorry, I want I wanted to get back to that.
0: No, no, anyway. no apologies. And I think a lot of them are listening, though. A lot of them are closet scientists because they can't come out. You know, I have I can think of three professors right now of major universities that listen to the show. Um, and they, they love when you come on, but they, they listen to the eyewitness encounters. And they've started yeah. to kind of look at some of the evidence. And a lot of it is because of their students. Well, I,
2: I, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, you know, I, that was the other comment I wanted to make, and I did mention it to you briefly at the conference. Because, um, following the last podcast you and I did, I, I got this email from a professor at an East Coast university. He in the summer, early in the summer, he said, "I'm I'm doing the, this honors seminar, and we're addressing several subjects shunned by science." And it said, "It seems like." excuse me Sasquatch Research qualifies as such a subject so i've sent him a copy of the book and we're going to get together but the point is he heard about it from your podcast and i thought well wow, so you just jumped i mean you were already pretty high in my book but you just jumped way up you know <laughs> so <laughs> yeah so, but you but you're right and i would i would not have suspected that that uh, so, uh, an academic, but, but I, I, he must be a young guy. You know, pardon me, pardon my cynicism, but I think this is what you're saying, and I think Meldrum's more aware of it because he's more in the loop. Yes, there are these. I won't call that maybe having a closet interest, but an undisclosed interest in the subject, and that. And I'm encouraged. Well, obviously, very encouraged by that.
0: Yeah. And like I said, when you come on, John, it holds a lot of weight. People listen to what you say. And, um, I think it's, I think a lot of the, especially professors are changing their mind, but I think a lot of it has to do with. Uh, the younger students that are listening, that are like, hey, take a listen to this. This isn't, you know, this guy doesn't make a joke of things. He, you know, it's eyewitness encounters. And I'm always amazed by that because, you know, for a, a professor, you know, I have a primatologist that listens to the show all the time. And he'll yeah. email me maybe once or twice a month and say, hey, on this episode, you guys were talking about this. I want to let you know how it relates to the known primates. Here's kind of what I see and you know that holds that means the world to me that someone would in that position would yeah. email me and say hey listen i yeah. uh, listened yeah. to the last couple well, shows and here's my take
2: i i i think i think that's i think that's what i hope People like you and I are doing, uh, and your people who phone in, we are trying to make it safe <laughs> to report a big Bigfoot, make it <laughs> to bring this evidence forward. This is a positive thing. It's a necessary thing. And I would say it's almost a responsibility, but I, I don't fault people who hold back. Uh, when it comes to responsibility, I, I lean a little more heavily on the responsibility of my colleagues to acknowledge those reports and address them. You know, But you know where I'm going with that.
0: Yeah, no, I know exactly. And John, it's always an honor to have you on the show. I know you've written two books, and I want to mention them real quick. Uh, back in 1998, I know you wrote uh, North, America's great, North America's Great Ape, the Sasquatch. And then in 2010, you wrote The Discovery of the Sasquatch. I know people can find them on Amazon, but where, where else can people, where would you prefer people buy your book from, John?
2: Yeah, we're, 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 we're turned out not to be very good business people or book marketers. So, yeah, uh, Amazon has, has the second book, which is the one I keep recommending. We're finally getting, there's only a few hundred copies of the first book around. Around anymore, We're getting it on to uh, Amazon.ca because the books are all here in Canada. So we'll, we'll be out there. We, we do try to ship from here, but we're slow.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I, yeah. I appreciate the fact that you would look into it, John, and put your neck out. Uh, Dr. Benternagel a wildlife biologist who's willing to look into the subject you're uh you're a hero in my eyes john and and i i really do mean that that's not just lip no, service
2: careful west thank you very much
0: <laughs> but i love i love talking to you i know you and i chatted real quick at the international bigfoot conference and i was so happy to have you back on like i said there was um I thought there was going to be a riot if I didn't have you back on with some of the emails well, and no,
2: stuff. No, no, well, 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 my pleasure. And I, and I don't want to wear out this welcome, because obviously this is a, a shot in the arm for me, hearing, hearing what's bothering people so that I can say, you know, do I know anything about this? And can I provide any information or, or opinions? Anyway, So, thanks again.
0: No, thank you, John. Thank you so much for coming on. Okay, bye for now. And that's it for tonight, everyone. Remember, if you've had an encounter, shoot me an email. My email address is Wes at SasquatchChronicles.com. I actually want to take a moment and give a shout-out to uh, Ronnie. Uh, It's Ron Knee. He's on my my Facebook. I know he's been a listener to the show for a long time. And and Ronnie says, uh, Today I'm heartbroken. I lost my little brother, Michael Joseph Knee. Rest in peace, my little brother, my fishing buddy, and my close friend. You're in good hands with the Lord now, and I will always love you very much. Please say a prayer for my little brother, and thank you in advance to my Facebook friends. And uh, Ronnie, uh, you have the prayer, and, and you're my thoughts. Thank you so much for—you uh, know, Ronnie's normally this easygoing guy. He always leaves me a, a funny comment, and I was heartbroken when I saw it, because I know the love of a brother. Um, you know, I, I, there were seven of us. I, I lost my, my older brother. Uh, I won't go into it, but I, you know, I was completely heartbroken, and you know, it, it's, um, you know, when your hero dies, it uh, it cuts you up, um, and and my heart goes out to you, Ronnie. It's uh, brotherly love is a hard thing. I know a lot of people listen to me and Woody on the show, and uh, it's kind of a interesting dichotomy between two people. Uh, there's certain things Woody can say to me that he'll get away with. You know, if someone else said it to me, I'd probably knock their front teeth out. Uh, but, um, it's something, you know, my younger brother, uh, Greg, I love him to death. Uh, you know, he, I probably don't say it enough, but, um, you know, my, my heart goes out to you, Ronnie. It's, uh, brothers are a funny thing. You know, it's, um, you, you can, I can call my brother an asshole. Sorry, audience. I, I got to talk turkey to this guy. Um, uh, you know, Ronnie, you, you can call, you Yeah, brotherly thing is a funny thing. You can call your brother an a-hole, but if anyone else does it, they're in trouble. Uh, And it's this weird relationship you have with brothers I don't think most people get unless you have a brother. Um, In my rambling, Ronnie? I I apologize for rambling. But um, my heart goes out to you. Uh, The closing song goes out to you. It's one of my favorite songs. And um, keep your head up. The sun will rise tomorrow. May your brother rest in peace. Thank you so much for listening. You're in my heart. You're in my prayers. Until next time, everyone.